This is Justin Smith with Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Bratz with JLB Morelia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. I was already, I was set up. Oh, this is episode 47. Crap. Okay. All right. This is episode 47, the Repeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. I'm Jacob Browse with J.O.B. Morelia. And before we have our guests on, um, which is Nancy and Carlos from Tropical Reptiles uh, and Exotics, uh, we have our Nido question of the week. This week's question comes from Ben Yunker. Uh, how prevalent is adenovirus in snakes and is it transmissible between bearded dragons and snakes should I be cautious about getting a bearded dragon or similarly similarly affected reptiles due to the virus I thought this was a pretty interesting question because we don't really think about pathogens that go from you know squamates or Mm -hmm. lizards to snakes to all that stuff so the family adenoviridae is composed of large envelope DNA viruses that have significant environmental stability. There are five described genera within the family of Adenoviridae that have evolved with their host species, such as adenoviruses of reptiles. These were previously called adenovirus, but as more was learned about their genome, they were put into the Atenodeno, Atenovirus genus. Say that five times fast. Huh. The prevalence in snakes is currently underreported, and it is possible that the virus is more common than we currently know. In squamates, atenodenoviruses, uh, snake adenovirus 1, 2, 3, appear to predominate and can cause anorexia, enteritis, and hepatic necrosis. So that's necrosis of the kidneys. Liver, I'm sorry, Not, not kidneys. Uh, however, subclinical carriers may have no pathology or immunosuppression and concurrent disease such as cryptosporidium. In general, adenoviruses are host-specific and agamid adenovirus, while it has several different genotypes, is not reported in snakes. Snake adenovirus has been reported to cross to other species of snake, but the effects of viral passage have not been fully investigated. Clinical signs of the disease can include poor growth, poor appetite, diarrhea, sudden death, and occasional dermatitis. Transmission is by fecal, oral, and gestation, environmental contamination, and vertical through the egg in your utero. Uh, disinfection of enclosures and equipment with viridicidal compounds, such as a 10% bleach and quaternary ammonia compounds, is recommended. Furthermore, testing of fecal material or autopsy of additional snake mortalities exposed to infected animals may be warranted to confirm spread of disease through the collection. Supportive care to meet nutritional needs and prevent secondary infections may be necessary. Please consult with your, consult with your primary veterinarian for treatment recommendations. As with any mixed species collection, it is important to know that important to know the diseases that affect them and how they are transmitted to decrease the passage of potentially deadly organisms. We always recommend using biosecurity measures including quarantine, testing, and good sanitation to ensure your collection stays healthy. 
Hashtag. You ready? Share knowledge, knowledge not Nido. And then they included a nice little phylogenetic tree of some specific adenoviruses and how they are related. Um, pretty cool. So, thank you, Ben. He also sent us a really nice message telling us how much he enjoyed the show, all that good stuff, and how much we helped him, uh, especially the episode where we talked about losing animals. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he had a, a recent loss, and that helped him out a lot. So, yeah. I was very happy to hear that. Glad we could help. Keep listening. Uh, we'll keep, For sure. We'll keep bringing the heat. <laughs> Throwing fastballs. As they say on the streets. As they say on the streets. That's how we do it in the streets. That's how we do it in the hood. <laughs> Beautiful South Alrighty. Carolina coming at you from the A43. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so we are going to be talking about tegus this episode. Tegus, just pretty dun, cool. Dun. That's just like that's a group of lizards. You're going to go to a reptile show. Oh yeah, you're, you're going to see, see them. them. There's going to there's popular. a bunch of them. They're going to see adults. They're going to see right. babies. Oh yeah, that's a popular one. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good animal because they're not like they're not cheap, but they're not out of the realm of affordable. Right. But so they're, like, I mean, they're, they've they've. I don't know if they're necessarily still growing in popularity, but they've they've become yeah, high on that list of, of lizards you often see. Kids. Yeah, because you see, there's a lot of stuff out there of you know people you know treating them similarly to you know like a dog, letting them run around their house and they think it's all cute and cuddly, or whatever you know. They see that and they say, "Oh, I can do that," you know. And then they see a baby and <laughs> oh, it's going to die. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Anyways. Ah! Oh, shit. I'm sorry. God. Dude, Fuck. it hurts so bad. Oh, that scared me, dude. Oh, my God. Oh, I got the Freddy Krueger mouth. threw my headphones off. Oh. oh, you just scared the hell out of me. I'm sorry. Sorry, buddy. All right. So, <laughs> I knew we wanted to do a Tegu episode at some point, and the first people that I thought of, because I follow them on Instagram, uh, is Tropical Reptiles and Exotics, which is Carlos and Nancy Michelson. Uh, they're in Florida. I want to say South Florida, maybe in the Miami area, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I looked them up today. They do. They're in Miami. They have a lot of tegus. Like mm-hmm. that is what they do. So I figured, who better? You know, I did some googling, yeah. looked them up on the FBI <laughs> groups and stuff. Did some searching. I did some recon. I always try to. Yeah, got to do a little recon, man. We can't. They, you know, yeah. they have they have positive reviews. They, yeah, they seem to be good at what they do at. Or yeah, good good at what they do. Mr. D- Good dyslexic. at what they do. Oh man, you're dyslexia oh, kicking in there, bud. Right. Let's let's. That's a hard no. Sorry. Yeah, well, you're gonna be sorry. Sorry, good for nothing. What's new with you? With me? Yeah. Nothing. What's what's been happening? Just working on moving. I looked man. for that house, dude. I think it's already sold. My house? Yeah. It doesn't show up on the Zillow searches and stuff. It's not there. So I'm thinking your boy already sold that thing. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I just, uh, I'm so looking forward to being out. Almost have, we're in line to have all the deposit money for the new place. So 
you know. Oh, this coffee's good, though. Finally going to have my own reptile room, so that's very exciting. I mean, you already kind of do, though. I mean, it's my bed's in there and stuff. You know, it takes up space. It's a whole wall. My room's small. Your room is small. You are small. <laughs> Hobbit. I'm not that small, dude. You ain't that big either. No, I'm not that big, but I ain't that small. Mm, that's what she said. That's what you said. Wait, what? <laughs> How's your mountain, too? Are they tardy? What is this? Uh, no. Give them tar- a second. Tardy, to the, tardy for the... Hey. I'm just playing. <laughs> Diva. What were you about to say? Nothing. Dude, <laughs> you are about to say something. I wasn't about to say anything. Don't be, don't be like that. Why are you being a drama queen? <sighs> Who pissed in your cornflakes? Everybody, and it tastes horrible. <laughs> I'm ready for Daytona. Dude. Yeah, me too. We're going to find a Chili's, damn it. Chili's. Chili's Chili, Chili THP party, guys. We're going to run out the entire Chili's. I don't know if and, we're going to uh, run it out so much yeah. as we're going to storm it like it's Area 51. <laughs> Everybody wear your THP oh, shirts. It would probably help if I had this plugged in, too. It yeah, was barely it was. a chirp. I could hear it from my neck. Oh, from your neck. Yeah. What does that mean? means my headphones were around my neck and I could hear you. So, you idiot. I've had the joy of dealing with prolapse in a baby chondro two days in a row. That's been fun. Mm-hmm. That's always enjoyable to wake up to. Woke up bright and early, like 6 a.m. one day. Couldn't go back to sleep. I'm going to check on baby chondros, lo and behold. Another reason why... Butthole is outside of its body. Another reason why chondros are the superior... "Quote unquote Morelia," but hey, can't keep their butts holes. I dealt with it last year, handled it like a baller, yeah. knew exactly what I needed to do like this time, baller. and it's gone. Hey, hey, wipe it's. It came back this morning, but I saw I did it again, and it's still hey where it needs to be. Don't break your arm trying to pat yourself on the <laughs> back. Hey, you know, <laughs> no. Yeah, that's good, dude. Well, I did um, the post because I think yeah, I I wrote a post about it, and yeah, I feel did. like. Not even I feel like I know people, like new new chondro people or new reptile people, period. You know, that kind of thing happens and they freak out. And it's yeah. like, oh my God, I got to solve it like right now. It's like, relax. Breathe. Don't panic. Handle it. Yep. Do it. Panicking ain't going gonna, ain't gonna to fix nothing. Mm-mm. Of course, the first time that something happens, you know, first time you discover mites, first times you notice an RI, first time you have a prolapse, whatever. It's always like, oh God. Yeah. But once you handle it, and once you know how to handle it after that, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. It ain't scary no more. Take walk. Yep. It'd be like that. But it's my fault that it happened, because oh. it was one of the non-feeders, right? Uh-huh. And so I fed it on, like, say, a Monday. Mm-hmm. I fed it again, I think, the following Thursday. Oh, dang. So, That's a lot of food. That was a lot of food for a snake that hasn't been yeah. taking in that much. So, lesson learned. Not doing that anymore, obviously. Dummy. So. I just, I was like, I got to get stuff in. I got to make up for lost time, get more nutrition in them. Yep. Luckily, this one was a holdback anyways, so it's definitely not going anywhere now, at least for a very long time, until I make sure that that's 100% not an issue anymore. So, so which one am I getting? <clears throat> um, let's find our guests. I'm a, what? Do what? 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 Um, you promised me a green tree python, Justin. When did I promise you, you that? You promised me a green tree python because I was about to pull the trigger on one at Repticon, and you're like, no. Why don't you just wait until I produce some, and you can have a captive bred one for me? And I was like, uh, 
I guess you're right. And here mm. we are. Mm. A year later. None of them are ready yet. And you don't want to fork over any of your damn... No, I'm just playing. None of them are ready yet. No one's getting any. You really think I care? The two that I sent Ian, though, are doing really well. They're already eating unscented. So I'm glad those are doing well. Zing. Zing Zing-a-ling-ding. New Cyania is doing good. He's a little bit squirrely with food. A little squirrely. Like, he's a little weird about food. Like, sometimes he'll want to eat. Sometimes he's like... I'd just rather try and kill you. Just rather eat you. Yeah. It'd be like that. Yeah. The little female, I just put the mouse in the hide and it disappears. <laughs> just the... She's gone. She eats it. She takes care of it. She handles yeah. her business. Yeah. Salsa Verde is her name. Salsa Verde. Oh. It's about time. Hello. Hey, how's it going? This is Carlos and Nancy from Chopper Go Reptiles. What's going on? This is Justin. Hey, what's up, brother? And I'm here with, with Jacob. Jacob, yeah, where are your Jacob. manners? I'm Say hello. Sorry. I'm sorry. I turned out for a second. What's going on, man? I'm Jacob. What's going on, guys? How are y'all doing this evening? Uh, we're doing really well. We're actually pretty excited. We had two clutches uh, hatched within the last two hours, so it was a pretty exciting evening. Oh, nice. yeah, I, I, I caught a few minutes of the live stream earlier this morning that you guys were, uh, I think it was this yeah, morning, it, it might have been last night. Yeah, no, it was definitely a, a really exciting afternoon and evening. Uh, our albino, two albino clutch uh, hatched today, a 100% hatch rate. All the babies look incredibly healthy. Uh, they have a lot of life. They're already eating. Uh, we went ahead and, and gave them crickets, dusted with uh, rapashi calcium, and they went at it. They were super, super alert, and um, they're doing great. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so we are recording currently, so we are... This isn't live or anything like that. It's pre-recorded. Uh, so don't worry about being li- on, on, on the spot or anything as far as being live or anything like that. Uh, but, I mean, let's, let's jump into it. We're excited to talk some tegus. This is uh, one of the topics we got requested a pretty good bit. Yeah. Uh, I like to periodically put some feelers out to see what kind of, what species and groups people want mm. us to cover, and uh, tegus came up multiple times. So, um, let's just, let's start off with, with an introduction. So, how long have you guys been working with tegus, and what is your, uh, are, well, you, are tegus working... just what you're working with right now? Yep. We started about 20 20- our main vision, my main vision when I started with reptiles was uh, green tree pythons. Yeah. I used to work with guys like Trooper Walsh, Marshall Mendez, Rico Walder, Rick Culver, a bunch of the guys from the Conjure Symposium. Nice. Used to see them every year over at Daytona show. That was basically my motivation to go ahead and, and create and be, you know, motivated to bring new life to this world, mm-hmm. but not just the common stuff. You know, I wanted to go ahead and... and and dig into the designer stuff go basically by the by the milestones that and the guidelines that these guys set up as far as uh creating new morphs creating new looks on them uh-huh. basically uh that same idea that we had with the green tree pythons and so forth we went ahead and shifted our focus six years ago from the from the green tree pythons and the ball pythons over to working with the tegus 
And when we started working with the Tegus, that's basically been our view since we started with them. We pick whatever um, genetics we found would match each other and whatever visual traits we would also see upon the Tegus, like the ones that show a little bit of red in bloodlines that not necessarily have red in the species and in the bloodlines. Yep. We will go ahead and, and look for those distinct patterns and so forth and breed them back with other ones that exhibit those patterns and those colorations as well to try to intensify the colors and the looks on the on the offspring of, of those two. Nice. So basically the the passion to start the create the creative process with the Tegu started back with the green tree pythons and seeing how far a lot of gentlemen took the green tree pythons and the creativity that was brought upon them. That's awesome. What was so what's the what's your draw? Like what is it that drew you to Tegus originally? Well, we started with just a common tegu, but what we found that was really, really amazing, we started with a black and white tegu, uh -huh. but what we noticed about them was just the way that they would bond with you, the incredible amount of intelligence that the animal had. We had, we even had the tegu potty trained, so he would like go up to the front door, basically look back at us, kind of giving us a <laughs> sign like, hey, I need to go out and potty. We would take him out, he would do his necessities. Then the Tegu will walk right back to the front door and do the same thing. Stare back at us and stare at the door like saying, hey, I'm done doing my necessities. I'm ready to go back in. That's so, so just cool. the, Yeah, man. Just the bonding process that these yeah. lizards bring to the table. The fact that we could create something that we used to create in an animal that we could only stare at and have it carried upon us mm -hmm. and be able to display them everywhere was where the drive really took place. Now, if I'm not mistaken, they're considered... It, one of the most, if not the most intelligent reptiles in the world. Yep, that's correct. They oh, even have uh, studies done that it's the only reptile that actually warms up its uh, its nest site. So it's actually the the only warm, uh, the only cold-blooded reptile that is able to warm itself up in the hide to achieve a certain temperature. Yeah, I think I remember he reading wow. an article about that a while back. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, they took they took heat signature readings off of their nest site, and they noticed that the tegus would actually uh, raise the temperature of the nest site as as it was prior to them being there. So they're pretty neat. That's wild. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I didn't know. It's um, I guess it would be similar to I it's you know to that of uh, you know when a python is incubating eggs, they'll they'll kind of shiver around around the eggs to, to, to yeah contract to make the mm -hmm. make warmth but that's really interesting Correct, that yeah. they just kind of like they they just kind of emit it from their just like body heat basically they don't know if it's by shivering or if it's a hormone that they excrete but it definitely does have a like, significant impact right. on, the, on the nest yep. yeah i didn't know if it was like if it was just something that happened like just in their bodies their bodies just warmed up or if it was you know something Isn't that similar so to, cool that that's yeah, like that's something crazy. that just over millions yeah. of years like micro adjustments in the animal's behavior is how that kind of came perfect. to be you know that just blows my mind yeah but uh so what how many tegus do you guys currently have uh we have well over 300 adults what? and we, we're almost getting into the thousands of babies good god oh my god <laughs> dude i'm flipping through their Whoa. instagram and i'm like wow they have a lot of tegus but i never would have thought it'd be that many that's crazy wow yeah man uh, a lot of people, they, they see the cost that's behind some of the world's first albinos and things like that that we mm -hmm. create. 
but they don't they don't estimate and take into a fact into consideration that our food bill is close to thirty six hundred dollars a month. So I believe you, it. Yeah. When you when you add that into the equation, you see that our profit margin is really really small, if any. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We feel that. Yeah, I know exactly how that is. So you guys do this full time? My wife is currently doing the the tegus full time. She takes care of, of basically what we call the the tegu nursery. Mm-hmm. Then this season, since we've grown so much, we've also um, hired an employee full time. Oh wow! And then wow. I'm I'm full time hands on here at the property for about um, four to five days out of the week, and then the remainder of the days I do personal protection. I work long shifts, like thirteen hours or so. Oh okay. Wow, that's cool. Nice. Yep. So wow. basically, between Nancy and I, we just you know we try to balance everything out. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the one that that's given all the credit here for the baby nursery and for taking care of everything is Nancy. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, kudos to you guys for getting that done, yeah, man. No that's kidding. man. That's that's, <laughs> that's amazing. That's dedication. Yeah, that's a lot. I'm trying to figure out why you're my echoing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can hear. It. I don't know. That's fine. Um, so, if someone, I know there, there's a handful of species. I know there's reds, there's the black and whites. Uh, but as far as someone getting into tegus, because I, that's one of the things with this episode I really want to do is getting into sort of the reality of the of the group and how they may not be for everybody, and they do require work and they do require time. Uh, what's sort of the best starter species with tegus for someone who wants to get into them? Uh, definitely, I would recommend, if anything, um, definitely start with a black and white tegu. We started with a black and white tegu, and as Carlos explained earlier, the intelligence level is there, whether it be a black and white, a blue, a red. Um, it's all about your preference, uh, but honestly, the amount of uh, attention that they are going to give to you uh, or any sort of um, emotional response. That's all mm-hmm. dependent on, on how much you spend with your tegu, how much you integrate that tegu into your life. Uh, having a tegu is, is just like having a hairless dog. It's, it, it requires attention. It requires feeding. We do daily feedings. Um, so if that's something that you are um able to do then then that's great uh we do insects in the in the beginning of the hatching process Mm -hmm. we feed them that um we also implement a lot of supplements including calcium uh alaskan salmon oil all of these are like little examples that we like to give to those starting out um, with the tegus, a lot of individuals don't believe that uh, maybe some lizards don't need all these required supplements that we implement, but um, the differences in our quality, our tegus thrive, they're very, very healthy, even from the get-go, right out of the egg, they're full of life, and they, they're always 100% hatch rate. And, and I believe that that goes into what you feed your tegu right. even before the whole uh, breeding process starts. So uh, having that knowledge and knowing that when you purchase a tegu, you are needing to uh, go ahead and, and become knowledgeable 
uh, about this this and individual uh, species because uh, a lot of people can become misinformed. A lot of misinformation can be spread, especially on the internet. Right. Um, and we don't want to confuse others. We're not saying that we are self-proclaimed experts or anything, but we have had an extensive amount of experience and time and um, many, many years put into this. So I do believe we do uh, know a little bit uh, more about tegus than your average individual. And we're here to help. We're here to uh, create a knowledgeable community of tegu owners. We don't want anybody to feel uh, insecure or, or even scared about handling their new pet or not knowing what to do. Uh, we want to really create uh, an open community for not only breeders, but Tegu uh, collectors and, and Tegu enthusiasts alike. Um, and one thing is definitely just, you know, having open conversation. And, and that's why we're, we're super excited to be on the, on the podcast tonight and, and share Tegu talk with you. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. Yeah. We just we want to, you know. I know tegus are just one of those groups where there's there's probably a ton of misinformation out there. You yeah, know, people they have this sort of stigma of like maybe being sort of the quote unquote pit bulls of the of the reptile right. world in a sense, you know. And, and, and it's I, just I think a lot of people because like in uh, well, what what also what I've noticed also just to get back to the to the topic you guys were were discussing. The the blue tegus, in my opinion, are the ones that stay the smallest, followed by the black and whites, and then the reds as far as sizes go. But mm -hmm. as far as them, their nature and their their behavior, it depends on how much time you spend bonding with the animals. What I feel creates a bad stigma or bad reputation for the animals is a lot of young people, what they feel mostly attracted to is filming that negative behavior in animals and, and mm -hmm. showcasing that as, a, as something to, to bring up to the air. And what it does is it creates that negative stigma and that negative mentality upon the species that is not really there. If you spend the time to bond with the animal, if you put in the time to be with it, to basically handle the animal 10, 15 minutes out of your day, the animal will have a reaction towards you, you know? If you just open the enclosure, throw a plate in there, and they associate your hand with food, then that's <laughs> as far as you know any animal yeah. is gonna react the same way. And that is a gnarly bite. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. <laughs> so, do have you seen the skulls of those things? Yeah, dude, the they're teeth are yeah, they're crazy, man. Um, so, have you guys noticed? Do they can they distinguish different people? Like, you know, if a stranger walked in, would they you know realize it wasn't you? type of thing or would they have a similar reaction to you know somebody they didn't know compared to you guys i think they definitely do and the way that i've proven that is when when we have a, a new employee or we're training somebody on site the tegus when when you open up their enclosure they kind of do like a side glance at you they kind of like throw their face to the side <laughs> and look up yeah and they're watching you all the time they're watching who's taking care of them right who's feeding them who's changing their water and my wife has picked up on that as well. And you know what's another crazy thing, man? You know how they say with the dogs, you take dogs around certain people, and if those people have a negative energy to them, the dogs mm -hmm. read it? Mm -hmm. I feel the tegus are the same exact way. You may have a tegu that you're holding, displaying, 
speaking to people about it and so forth. When somebody comes up to you and they try to handle the animal and they have a completely like different stigma or a different way of being, I feel like the animal picks up on that as well because you will notice the animal trying to run away mm -hmm. and have a different reaction towards mm -hmm. different people. Man. That's nuts, man. Yeah. That's so cool. So I didn't know that they were one of the most intelligent reptiles mm -hmm. in the world. I, I didn't. I honestly didn't know that. That's that's really, that's really interesting. I always knew they. I always knew they were they were smart, but I didn't know yeah, it was no, to that like extent. One of the, that's mm. that's incredible. And how many are they? Are are the reds and the blues and the black and whites? Are they all their own species? Or are they all subspecies? Well, the black and whites and the blues are considered the same, just different okay, localities. Gotcha. Even though they, they do exhibit significant differences. Mm -hmm. The red is, is considered a different one. The red is considered Salvatore rufescence. Mm -hmm. But you could intercross all three of them together. The black and whites, the reds, and the blues. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're working towards in doing. We're crossing them, and we're making uh, new different colored uh, creations with them. And those color creations, based on the on the uh, visual traits that they exhibit, we bring back to other bloodlines, and mm -hmm. we keep you know expanding further with the with the looks. And how many species are those? The three main species that are kept in the hobby. Uh, the golden tegus are also kept in the hobby, right. but those are the most aggressive of all and the cheapest ones. Oh. A lot of they do is they sell the golden tegus. And they wrongfully misadvertise them as Argentine black and whites because the Goldens cost like about $40 and the Argentine black and whites are around 200 Oh, mm. wow. So, I mean, yeah. is, that, so is that, it safe to a, say is that, that, that a, the giveaway? a majority of them at reptile shows are going to be the Goldens and not the black and whites? Well, it's a dead giveaway. If you just do like a quick little five-minute Google on them and mm -hmm. do a little bit of research, you'll be able to tell they have a very distinct different patterns and the golden tegus pattern is more yellow as opposed to the black and white, which mm. is mostly white. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I yeah. mean, as far as like hatchlings, are they, are they similar? Cause I know the black and whites come out green. Like they start yeah, out green exactly and then that the, fades or the, are the goldens the same way? No, the golds come out like a, a, a yellowish khaki tone with black. So they oh, okay. look different from, from get, yeah, gotcha. they look different from hatch. Hmm. So the to the untrained eye, they don't. You know, a lot of people get fooled a lot of times. But to people, uh, you know, all it takes is five minutes of research, and you'll know the difference. That requires Google searching and reading. Yeah, who, does who, who researches yep. nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody just goes to. What do you mean? I gotta to read about them. Goes to Facebook and asks for any tips. <laughs> I could just talk to the guy at PetSmart, and he'll tell me everything I need to know. <laughs> He has yeah. a little certificate with his picture on the wall right there. Yeah, he got employee of the month twice. <laughs> <laughs> so is it safe to say then that if you're getting into them, um, blues are what you should stay away from, reds are going to be a second, and then black and whites are number one? Uh, the black and whites will be the, the next in size. Blues are the most expensive and what everybody likes because they get like the teal colors, they uh -huh. get the sky blues, they get the high whites. The black and whites, they, they tend to get like the orange belly. They get like some, some yellow polka dotting on the top. But for the most part, they stay black and white. Um, the reds also display a lot of different coloration. And there's two different types of reds, which a lot of people are pretty clueless about how they look and how to differentiate them. There's the Paraguayan reds, and then there's the Argentine reds. The Paraguayan reds have more like a polka dot broken up pattern mm -hmm. in the back. And the Argentine reds have the they have the red coloration, but they have bars on their back. Okay. So 
So the, their patterning is even different within the same species. Gotcha. Are they? Are they? Do they get roughly about the same size? Yeah, they do. Okay. Uh, some lines of red, though, like the anery red line. Some of the animals from the anery red line do tend to stay on the smaller side. Oh. That's interesting. Gotcha. Do you, and is well, no, go ahead. Good. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. Go. Go. As, like you said, the the golden stay the smallest. How big? How big? Is, which one is the, the reds get the biggest and the golden stay the smallest? So what's the what's the adult size of a golden? The adult size of a gold is like roughly two feet, oh, two and wow. a half feet. Yeah, that's not yep. very big at all. Huh. So and they have it? the little man syndrome. They're like, they're the smallest, so they're <laughs> yeah, going to be the ones that are mean. the feisty. <laughs> Yeah, they get up to like two to three feet on average, and they're super aggressive, man, those guys. <laughs> Do you think it's still because they have a lot of that, that wild blood tendencies? You know, are they commonly bred in captivity, or the the large that, majority that of them imported? You're, right, you're absolutely right on that. The majority of the golden tegus do come in as imports. Right. So that may be a high, since they're like the F1 in captivity. Mm-hmm. That could be a high possibility that that's the reason why their 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 attitude hasn't changed. Yeah, know? I would think, especially like tree monitors. yeah, if they're not, you know, one of those, you know, a, a tegu that's super commonly bred in captivity, you know, then then I would totally understand that, you know, since there's more people working with the reds and the black and whites and the blues, you know, they've kind of worked that wildness out of them over you know mm-hmm. generations of captive breeding. Um, exactly. And another thing also that I've noticed is I've seen both. I've seen the golden tegus when they first come in into the country and the red tegus. But from the get-go, the golden tegus are just untouchable. Worse. And do they, I mean, yeah. do they just not really calm down over the span of their, their life? No. They're, just, they're like <laughs> no, Amazon tree boas. They they're suck. just on all the time. <laughs> they're just always mad. doesn't matter if they've been captive bred for 10 years. They're yeah. going to hate you the same as, you know, one that just came into the country two days ago. The yeah. only uh, the only breeder that I've seen I've seen a breeder named Resky Lugman out of um, out of Germany, and that breeder actually produced the first in the world ever melanistic golden tegu. Wow! And that's the only breeder that I've seen have good luck with the, like taming down the goldens mm-hmm. and have them be super nice with them. Black wow. gold, black gold. <laughs> That's crazy though, man. So, so since you said the smallest, you know, how big, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, how big are the reds? You know, what's what, what are they max out about? Uh, the reds get like up to four to five feet, and they also got a lot of uh, size on them. Yeah, I noticed the reds hefty. are typically pretty chunky. Yeah, they're they're chunky. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're like what we call the hogs out of the table. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah, be prepared for a lot of really basic questions because we're snake guys. We don't. Really yeah, like we don't. Uh, no problem. I've been around tegus, but I haven't ever. Yeah, really I've always them. wanted to. Tegus have been like they've been the one large lizard that I've really, really wanted mm-hmm. for a long time. I've wanted to work with tegus since I was a little kid, but you know, it's just been one of those things. Well, I knew during you know where I've been at in life, I knew I wasn't prepared to take care of a lizard that size. You know, but it's still something I still want to do one day. You know get a you know, work with them a little bit you guys should definitely make the jump man now tegus are getting really really interesting mm-hmm. we just produced this season two world's first albinos and one of the ones to be really really excited about is the ones that we're calling the red ruby line of albinos which oh, is the man. highest albino red ever produced in captivity they're 62.5 percent red and 37.5 percent blue in one animal 
That's crazy. Damn, man. Yeah. So That's... it would take anybody basically right now three years of them being successful in a continuous project to get to the point to be able to reproduce this animal. Jeez, man. Because everybody has gone the blue route to intensify mm. the percentages of the blue inside the albinos. We went the opposite route. We intensified the percentages of the reds in the albinos. So which one does the albino originally come from, the blue or the red? The albino comes from the blue. Okay. But what we did in this in this specific cross is we crossed high percentage blue to red crosses right. that happened to be head for albino. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, I got you. Like we did the, the <clears throat> red titanium line. The red titaniums is an F2 blue to red cross crossed back to a red tegu. And then we did the Pink Panther line. And the Pink Panther line is completely different genetics. The Pink Panther was a 66% um, red with uh, the rest of the percentage being blue. So when you add up the both of them, the we brought up the percentage of the red by crossing both of them together. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would have been impossible. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's I know exactly, you know, how you mean, because, you know, they in the, you know, going obviously being snake people, that's those are the references I use, you know, in the carpet python realm, you know, you cross a subspecies, you know, like the jaguars, you know, you got the jungle jags and the you know, the IJ jags, you know, you, you put in more IJ or more jungle into that to increase that side of it and it creates a certain you know look color pattern etc etc it kind of works exactly. kind of works the exact same way with uh with the tegus yep we're yeah. doing exactly what you just described but with tegus right yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's basically what i do with uh my west poplin carpets i selective breed for you know colors patterns even though i don't i'm not crossing subspecies but you and know apparently it's hatred for, because with the amount that you get bit Oh yeah, they do. They hate me. <laughs> they all hate me. That's okay though. I love. I love them. So when that's all that matters. Day, I love going over to Bronson's house. And oh watching. man, they destroy me, dude. They. Oh, oof. But yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. And I think that's. I think that's fun. You know, it's not like you know with the albinos and stuff. You know, you're going. You know, you're taking a morph and then selective breeding into that morph and it's just I, I think it's i think it's cool i like i like selective breeding and you mm -hmm. know all that stuff polygenic traits it's all it's all awesome to me i love it but you mentioned Thanks, yeah you mentioned uh 15 minutes a day uh, i mean how long does it typically take for, if you got a hatchling you know a young tegu at a show or from a breeder that hasn't whole had a whole lot of interaction how long does it typically take for them to calm down over time is it a matter of weeks a matter of months like as far as building that trust goes? What we do is we, we like to start building the trust with the animal. We don't like to just stick our hand from the top and just grab them. Mm -hmm. Like we either provide them a surface or we approach them to the same level of their size in the enclosure. And then when we get them out, we bring them up to the bathtub and we give them a soak. We let them soak, let them relax for a little while. Once the animal has already soaked and it is pretty much calm, we start the whole handling process and you see that they have a completely different reaction to you by them. Hmm. You know, once they have soaked it, they seem more relaxed yeah. and, and more open to the whole handling process as opposed to just, you know, sticking your hand in there, grabbing it mm -hmm. and, you know, going straight to action. And is it I think that if you give them like their, their due process, you know, you, you do the, the proper steps with them, they'll go ahead and reward you back in return. Yeah, and is it just a matter of kind of letting them do their own thing, you know, not forcing them to, to go any direction that you want them to go, just kind of letting them sort of Absolutely. hang out? Absolutely. And... 
Absolutely. You got to let them do their own thing. You got to let them crawl, explore. The minute that you start putting limitations and you start trying to grab them instead of letting them walk around and stuff, they, they start getting more hesitant mm-hmm. and they start to shy away from you. And is it harder if you have an older animal that maybe hasn't had as much socialization or interaction? Is it, is it more difficult to get an older animal you know, to, to regain the trust of that one than it is starting with a, a fresh fresh one? I believe it is because a lot of uh, older animals already have bad habits mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't don't treat the tegus accordingly. They don't give it the proper spacing. They don't give it the proper diets. They don't feed them every day. So a lot of the reactions that, that you get when you bring in an animal that is not the one that you've had under your care for so long, you know, you're, you're going to have mixed reactions from the animal. The animal's going to feel a little alienated. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's it's just the same thing. You're just going to have to require to spend more time with that animal to bring him to, to the comfort level that, that you want him to be at. And is there so, a safer way to go about doing that? I would suggest the same thing. You know, a lot of bonding time, a lot of time having the animal soak and be able to relax in the tub for a while. That is a major help to, to the animal's behavior and getting them to calm down. Also, Putting them, uh, putting a shirt or something that has your smell in their enclosure would mm-hmm. also help them out. I've heard of people doing that with snakes. I've never, huh? I've never heard of that. Oh. Yeah, that's a first for me. Good old sweaty sock. Just <laughs> they get used to it and they yeah, understand. No. They, I, my snakes would hate me if I put any of my socks in there. Yeah, I have a, a couple customers from this season that they started off like that. They will grab one of their work shirts or so forth and stick it in the Tago enclosure. Mm-hmm. Once the Tago has already been, you know, in with the shirt for a while and so forth, they basically put their arm into the enclosure and let the Tago crawl on them. Huh. And one huh. of the guys keeps sending me pictures. He's, he goes and, like, he keeps a bunch of snakes, so he's doing, like, water bowls and stuff like that. And the baby's just hanging out on his shoulder the whole time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, I know the take was named by, by memory already. He named it Atlas from how many <laughs> updates he sends me. It's awesome. Yeah, that's great, man. <laughs> so for anybody out there looking for, you know, who's considering getting a Tegu, you know, well, you know, as far as housing goes, goes, what are you looking, what is the average person looking at you know, getting as far as an enclosure for an adult take you. Let's go. We'll go with black and white. You know, what 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 are we looking at for an adult enclosure? For an adult enclosure, we what we basically do is we ask if they're gonna keep it indoors or outdoors. If if they're gonna keep the tegu indoors, we do like a four by three by two mm-hmm. for one animal, and that works out fine for us because we have them housed with a hide, a water sliding glass doors the whole setup and, and what we do is to build their enclosures indoors we use uh pvc boards mm-hmm. the quarter inch mm-hmm. pvc boards just basically like you built the snake racks you know yeah. the same material yeah. exactly what talking and about. that material as you guys know it, it doesn't collect mold it doesn't get you know it doesn't get any of those uh health risks right. that the wood when it when it's running when the material like the polyurethane yeah or the big wax, you don't have that that off gassing like you do with particle board and stuff like that when it's heated up exactly that and it'll never rot or it'll never mold up on you and it holds heat and humidity so freakishly well Mm -hmm. exactly i'm amazed at how well that stuff does that 100 percent. it's crazy 
So what we do is we build the enclosures out of that material. And when we keep them indoors, when we keep them outdoors, we build the enclosures out of wood. And the way that we do it is we don't use one single panel for like a whole wall. We use different panels so that if a piece of wood starts rotting out or going back in time, yeah. it's easier to come back and just pop that panel right. out and replace it with a brand new piece of wood. Yeah, we just replace the piece rather than the entire well, thing. You don't have to, to worry it about out. it rotting in your animal yeah. loose. Exactly. Yeah. We do basically, I did uh, I did two careers for, for college. I did uh, paramedics, firefighting, and I also did building engineering. So what we do is there one thing we used to call in building engineering, which is preventive maintenance. You know, mm-hmm. we walk around the enclosures, yeah. make sure that all the wood is good. This gets done like on a monthly basis because the the outdoor weather out here and the tables, nails and everything, you know, everything reacts differently. So we basically stay on, pretty much supervise all the enclosures, make sure everything's fine. But when you set them up outdoors and you use pressure treated wood, we haven't had to change most of the enclosures in over two years, so they're a hundred percent. Nice, it's mm-hmm. awesome. Do you we keep... also used to do like a chicken wire. Yeah. For the for the sides of the enclosure, we don't do chicken wire on the sides anymore. We just do chicken wire on the bottom, like as a as a floor. Mm-hmm. Then we put the mulch on top, and we do chicken wire on the top of the enclosure, on the on the door, and on the top roof of it. But the chicken wire sides. What basically does is it wears the whole mouth of the tegu down almost to the Mm teeth. Because when the sun is hitting them full time in the summer or when they're exhibiting breeding behavior that they're chasing each other around, they'll run into the wall and basically do like a, you know, like a a cheese grater and break their face Mm -hmm. down with the the chicken wire. Mm -hmm. So what we use for the sides is we use fence wood. Oh, like lattice. Yep. Yeah. And then we get the pressure treated fence wood, which is only like a a buck and a couple cents each panel. And once those panels go bad, which basically take like two years plus, we just pop them out and put a brand new piece in. Easy fix, Mm -hmm. easy maintenance, and easy to keep. Make Mm -hmm. sure that all the animals stay in and none of them ever ever escape. Well, how do you go as far as keeping them outdoors? Like, how do you... Is there anything you do for secure? Like they, because they are diggers, right? Like they will dig. Yeah, they will dig. Do you? But do what we do that... is we we staple the chicken wire in between two by fours. So we basically pancake the chicken wire on the okay. ground between the two by fours. So it's impossible for them to be able to dig under the chicken wire. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And then the the top of the enclosures they're kept with a locking mechanism, basically mm-hmm. like if they're venomous. So they have no way to escape or no way to to um, be able to make their way out to the outdoors because we're we're living out here in South Florida, guys. And I don't know if you're aware, but in South Florida, we have the the invasive issue with the black and whites, right. with the Argentine black and whites. Like, I don't know if it's a hormonal smell or the smell of the food mix that we make. Mm-hmm. But we have black and whites from the wild actually walk into our property. Easy. <laughs> Yeah, so we have like year-round traps set up on our property, as well as you know the the animal stuff that we have. Jeez, wow. man, that's nuts. Yeah, because black and whites will come around. <laughs> I can imagine, man. That's yeah, we've crazy. already caught. Uh, last season, we caught two here on the property on the traps, and we saw a, a large variety of them walking around. 
So what do you, being that they're an invasive, what do you have to do with them the when you trap Florida them? The new Florida raccoon. Basically what we do is we, we keep them, like I was saying, like if they're venomous. So we've had like fish and wildlife investigators come over to our facility a couple times and they love the way that we have our setups made. They use it actually as examples to other keepers on how they should keep their setups, how healthy our animals are. They always have something to say about that. But what I also do is I work with different programs and what I do is I get data. I, I also run um, I run some trap lines in the wild, and I collect data from the wild-caught tegus that I trap. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, because I know they've been trapping and kind of studying them a lot the, the last few years. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the programs, since they're financed directly from FWC, they're required to euthanize the tegu. And then what they do is they study the stomach contents. And something that's pretty neat that they've been finding out on the stomach contents of the tegus is that they're actually eating the poison wood berries out there. And they're eating the the little black locusts looking like crickets that get big and, mm-hmm. and yellow. Yeah. That they're actually poisonous too. The only other species that eats them is a type of bird. And what they do is they, they pinch them onto the, to the branches of the trees and they wait for them to dry. And then they're able to consume them. But the oh. tegus eat them live. And they eat poison wood berries alive. And they're fine. And they're completely fine. It doesn't surprise me at all, actually. To another topic. We have never like in the in the whole time that we've been working with the South Florida black and white tegus, we have yet to experience one with parasites in them. Like internal Whoa. worms? Like nematodes? Like internal parasites, yep. Oh. No way. Yep, they're all clean. I mean, I don't know what they're doing in South America or what type of diet they're eating out there where they're originally from, but the ones found in the South Florida ecosystem are 100% parasite-proof. I wonder if that has anything to do with you know their diet and their, them being able to withstand. Well, maybe there's a worm that yeah seems to thrive in that system more than there is like there's not one in florida that does the same right thing. right and that's what i'm saying maybe exactly. it's something maybe it's something like, in I don't with know their if diet you guys are aware but the the problem that's happening with the with the burmese pythons yep the, the burmese pythons are also invasive here in south florida mm-hmm. but they carry a specific type of parasite that is diminishing the the pygmy rattlesnakes out from the native population Oh no! Oh, I haven't heard that. No, that I didn't know about that. Yep. So there's a parasite that comes from the from the invasive Burmese pythons that are established in this habitat that is killing off the pygmy rattlesnakes. Jeez, man, that's, that's oh, sucks. that's not good. <laughs> that's bad. Oh, no, man, it's crazy. Man. <laughs> I, I didn't know about that. That's oh, I don't like to hear that at all. We it's, love pygmy rattlesnakes. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan yeah, of pygmy rattlesnakes. Here, they're they're my favorite species of rattlesnakes. Well, I tell are. you what, I go out herping all the time, and I go in through like some really isolated areas where we have like the tegu trap lines and so forth. And it's been years, man, since I've actually ran into a live little pygmy rattlesnake. Mm. And my wife and I used to go out there herping all the time three, four years ago, and we'd see them out everywhere. So that, it's making a significant impact. Yeah, that's crazy because I went to I w- I was in the Tallahassee area a couple years ago um, doing some herping, and that's the majority of what we found was pygmy rattlesnakes. I I can't even tell you how many we found on that trip. It was just you know incredible seeing that many you know because um, here they're a lot more scarce. You have to go to certain areas to find them you know um, 
but dang, that's crazy. That's just and what three, you four guys years have ago. Is like the the cherry pygmies, right? No, uh, those are North Carolina. Yeah, We're you gotta go. Carolina. You gotta go up a little bit more oh, for okay, those. Okay. Um, but we've got what do they call ours? Not Carolina pygmies, do they? Duskies? I feel like duskies were more Florida, but I guess we, no. I think we would have duskies too. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not completely. I like them all. Yeah, I just think they're all awesome. I love pygmy rattlesnakes, man. Like I said, they are, they are my favorite species of rattlesnake for sure. Um, but yeah. Uh, so as far as keeping them outdoors. Is that something recommended for like people here in sort of the southeast? That's not really something you can do where it winterizes heavily, right? Yeah, that's correct. I have a lot of people that do it also on the west coast, but they do it like around the summer months and mm-hmm. so forth. They don't. They bring in the the animals when it gets closer to the winter period. Hmm. So, uh, you know, so since not everybody is gonna be able to keep them outside because you know not everybody lives in South Florida. Um, what are, you know, as far as like temperatures and humidity goes, what do you look at? What do you, what would you tell somebody to shoot for an, in a, uh, indoor enclosure? What we like to do is like around 105 degrees and then the cooler end of the enclosure to reach about 75, 80 degrees during oh, the wow. day. Yeah. And then, uh, we like to keep humidity around 70 to 82%. Oh, so you and keep them pretty some, humid then. Something else that we do to help them out with like sheds and stuff like that is we supplement the tegus with a lot with wild Alaskan salmon oil. Oh. So we give them wild Alaskan salmon oil once every three days, once every two days, depending on how they look as far as their shed cycle, if it's coming along, if it's looking like, you know, they're gonna have a little bit of an issue shedding, we go ahead and, and add more to their diet of the but what it does is it has like omega-3 fatty acids and yeah. it has like, so it helps them develop that grease that they need in between their skin and the actual mm-hmm. layer of shed. And it helps the shed come off in a whole layer. Yeah, it makes me wonder if it would work for snakes. Yeah, I just thought about it. I was literally just thinking, I was like, wonder if you dipped a rat in that Well, not stuff. even, like even just inject, inject it. Inject it. Yeah. A little bit. Inject it with it. Now, how Dang. much do you usually inject for like a, like a hatchling? Well, it comes with like a, a pump. So what we do is we make a whole mix. Oh, okay. We put the pump into the mix. But for like an individual snake, I would do like one cc per snake. Okay. Yeah, yeah. just inject the, the rat prey item and give it to them. Huh. I don't know if you guys ever treat it for parasite snakes, but basically you do the same thing. You inject the, right. yeah, yeah. the rat or the mouse down that and road. then you, you feed it to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, Justin, keeping uh, green tree pythons. You've, uh, I know you've had. Yeah, that. I'm a I'm a big chondro guy yeah. too. So, <laughs> well, when they come in from Cumran, you know what to do now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, care for younger animals. What do you? I know you guys keep a you you. I've noticed on Instagram you keep a lot of the younger ones together in semi large groups. Is that pretty standard practice? Correct. What we like to do is we like to keep them together in, in um, communities, basically what we call them, so that um, they establish friendliness and they're able to tolerate having other tegus around of the same size. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that buy our tegus don't only want one. They want different genetics, different bloodlines, yeah. so that they could go ahead and breed in the future and make their own different combos. So they want to get one, three different tegus from different genetics 
And one of the questions that comes up a lot is, can we house them together? So we let them know, you know, as far as long as they're equivalent in size or close to each other, it is safe to do so because we house them in community style. We keep them together for that same reason, so that they tolerate other animals. You know, they're able to get along with them better, more efficiently. They're able to uh, develop like a, a pecking order when it comes down to, to eating their food. And it, it just works out better if you're planning on housing your animals with more animals in the future and be able to have them closer to other animals. I've seen animals that are kept isolated since they're born, like babies and so forth. Mm -hmm. When they're introduced to another to another baby in another enclosure, the minute that that other baby wiggles or moves the tail around, that animal's not used to any other movement but its own movement or the movement of a prey, like a cricket or some sort of insect inside the enclosure. So it'll go as a feeding response and take a bite out of the other animal. And in some cases, take a bite off the tail or whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. Sometimes not as aggressive witness behavior where they don't tolerate each other. They'll even stand up and run in circles with each other in, in a, as a defense mechanism to to try to let. Uh-oh, you there? So We're breaking up a little bit. I'm here. Oh, okay, cool. So what we try to do is we, we house them in community style so that they get to see and interact with other siblings, you know, other tegus alike of their size. And at the same time, they, they maintain that composure. They don't get crazy in the matter that they see any other movement in the enclosure and they go up to it to bite it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that could also play a role in how they are with, uh, you know, handling with, you know, their their owners? Like kind of being that they have that interaction with you know another another animal you know they it might you know help with their interactions with their uh, their definitely their I mean when you put your hand down in, in their enclosures you'll see that one of them will will come and basically test the waters and see if it's safe once that one takes the first jump and already you know <laughs> becomes confident enough to come up to your hand you'll see that the rest of them basically watch the behavior of that lone one and go ahead and, and start copying it. The same thing comes down when you introduce a new uh, food item to their enclosure and you put it down in, in there. Uh, one of the babies is all it takes for them to get a taste out of it. Once the other ones already see the behavior, it's like learned behavior. They go up to the food mix and start eating in an order. That's crazy, man. <laughs> that's just so stinking cool. Uh, yeah, man, they're, they're, they're super smart. Yeah, that's, so did, that's is there so like cool. a pecking order of sorts? Like if you had a group of small, like neonates yep. or hatchlings, if you introduced one that wasn't in that group originally, do they gang up on it? Not necessarily gang up, but is 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 it clearly like an outcast in that group? If it's the same size as the other ones, I've seen that they they welcome it. They welcome it for the most part. Mm -hmm. But if the tegu is smaller. For any reason, they will bully it. They will not let it eat. They won't let it bask. They'll keep it basically in the shadow. That sucks. Would that go yeah. the same for like a, a runt in a clutch? Like if you have a clutch of, I, mean, I don't know how many Definitely. eggs. Definitely. When we have runts in the clutch, we don't keep them in community style. Okay. We, we give them a chance of their own, set them up individually. Once they catch up to the size of everybody else in the clutch, we reintroduce them okay. back. You were a runt, Brats. 
You Sc- did fine. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I guess that kind of segs into breeding a little bit. Uh, when you introduce pairs, are you just you're just doing a male to a female? You doing two females? Because you don't you don't do male to ma- like ma- two males in a pen, right? Because they do get crazy. Yeah, that, and we won't know exactly who the genetics belong right. to. Right. Okay, that makes so sense. So we like keeping one male to two females at most, but what works out for us the best is one point ones together. And what we do is, um, we introduce the pairs that we have lined up for next year, this year around October to November, when it's the cooling period, what they call the brumation, mm-hmm. so that they they're able to get along with each other other not get the extremes amount of heat so they don't get really warmed up to the point where they may get aggressive towards each other so they spend the whole time the whole time of brumation basically bonding with each other and establishing the the relationship that when they come out is what helps them mm-hmm. why does this thing keep ducking in and out so basically what they do is they spend from like late October to early March brewmating together. Mm-hmm. And how, once you notice that a female's carrying, how long is their gestation before they lay? It's usually about a month. Oh, oh that's it. Yeah, not very long. Yeah. And what's the typical clutch size? Uh, typical clutch sizes for like the blues will be anywhere from like 22 to 38 for like the reds and, uh, and especially the black and whites. We've had clutches hit all the way up to 48 eggs. Oh, wow. Loud. And how long are they in the cooker for? Um, this year we're getting an average cooking time of 63 to 65 days. But they're usually 70 days is the longest term. That's crazy. Crested still take longer than those to hatch. Yeah, that's wow. That's I was expecting. So I was expecting way more like yeah. The, I was like expecting monitors. like monitors. Yeah, yeah like a, the hundred, you know, ninety to a hundred day, uh-huh. hundred day mark. That's crazy, man. It's just like snakes. No, we're we're doing 60, 63, 65 days this year, and they're they're hatching out like the albino to albino clutch that just hatched out today. That went on for sixty five days. At uh, eighty six point five degrees temperature. That was going to be my next question. Nice, that's awesome, man! Damn. Yeah. And so, these incubators, bro, we build them all from scratch. We got like a a Fiji water cooler, yeah, and a and a Coca Cola one, the ones with the clear mm-hmm. front door, mm-hmm. and the beverage cooler, and we basically converted everything custom to the tables. Yeah. So we set up the. The heat panels inside, the fan, the thermostat, make sure it's medically Also put in a, a tub with the water on, on the bottom to keep the humidity circulating throughout the whole mm-hmm, incubation mm-hmm. period. Hmm. That's awesome. I mean, that, like, given the clutch sizes and how long it takes them to hatch, it, may, it really doesn't surprise me that they're they're doing so well as an introduced yeah. species. Like, yeah. it makes sense. It's kind of the perfect storm of the environment's mm-hmm. right, they can reproduce at the right rate to keep them going. For sure. That's nuts. Exactly. The perfect recipe for a thriving yeah. species that's yeah. not supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
man. So do you think, as far as the hobby goes, because I, I have noticed, like, Tegus did get popular fairly quickly. Do you think they're still on the rise, or do you think they're kind of, like, hitting their, sort of their plateau of sorts, where this is just kind of where they're going to stay consistently? Because oh, I know they're popular. Man. I think we're just, we're just scratching the surface now. Like oh, okay. I was telling you guys, we, we just opened up a whole new doorway at the moment. You know, we, we got Fastens Albino around. So it's only a matter of time, like next season or the next, before we cross that Albino to a sibling from the same clutch or to another high percentage red head for Albino, and we start creating all New World's first things. Now, here's another cool thing about it. There, there may be a hidden gem gene in that bloodline, because the grandma to the the head albino male that produced the clutch is actually head for Annery. So we may have the world's first double head albinos at the moment. Wow. And from the only person that has the double heads at this point, it has already been proven to us that they do have the, the eye markers and so forth that the same double heads from another clutch have. Huh. Yep. So we're going to actually keep back a lot from that pair. And we're going to try to do a sibling-to-sibling -sibling pair, which doesn't affect genetics or anything like that in the Tegus. has already been proven. And um, we're going to do the sibling-to-sibling -to, -sibling to get an even more intense amount of red in the in the albino gene. That's cool. That's awesome, man. <laughs> How long does it take from ha uh, like hatching to a breeding size do females need to be older males need to be older like what's the typical range of it depends on the diet and the interest that the breeders has to carry that bloodline around uh down mm -hmm. uh, i've seen a lot of breeders that feed dog food and feed things that are like you know below average food and they take a long time to be able to see results from their breeders um we're breeding our animals animals that we produced last season are already being fertile and producing for us at 10 months of age. Wow. What? I'm telling you, man, That's, perfect. the perfect storm, it's dude. Literally, it makes, it, the more oh I hear gosh. it, the more it makes sense ten, why they're, why ten they're months? established. Is that male or female? Yep. In our collection, I'm not talking about everybody else's now. Right, yeah, yeah, right, but right. Is, is that male or female or both? Both. We That's have clutches crazy. right Get now. From, out of here. We have clutches right now from males and females that we produced last year, 10 months ago. That is insane. I had no idea they could turn around that quick or mature that mm -hmm. quick. Oh, my God. That's We're crazy. We're going to look marking Here's our calendars thing, four I'm years not, in advance for snakes. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to talk down upon other breeders' practices and how they feed their animals and what type of supplements they do. But a lot of breeders, they breed over two years of age and down. We're achieving this success because of the attention to detail that we put in the animals, because of the supplements that we give them, because of the way that we grow them. You know, we give them a lot of attention and we grow all of our babies. Like if they're going to be holdbacks and breeders for us in the future, we don't give them a, a minimal less diet because they're up for sale. Mm -hmm. None of that. Any animal that doesn't get sold stays in our collection and becomes a breeder at, the, at a certain point. If they get too big, that we already consider them that worth for us because of the amount of time invested into the animal and amount of food cost that we put into the animal, that is a, a wise decision to sell them. 
they go ahead and become part of our breeder stock. So all of the animals that we produce, we're raising them up like if we're breeding them next season. That's crazy. Okay. Takes a lot of sacrifice, brother. That's Definitely. why our food bills are so high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's commitment though, man. That's that's awesome. I love it. Thank what do you, you as far as the diet goes, like you mentioned uh I know a lot of people feed them uh like maybe raw or semi-cooked beef and do you feed mice? Yeah, you talked what about you, you talked about crickets for the babies, but like an adult, you know, regimen, what are you, you know, a staple diet? Uh, yeah, uh, this is Nancy, sorry. No, you're good. Uh, for the first two weeks of the hatchling's life, we do uh, introduce crickets. Uh, it's good to have that uh, first feeding response come from them and, and have that little bit of a hunting instinct. After about two weeks, we introduce, and during that time as well, we start introducing uh, ground turkey. We also like to mix in with the ground turkey, uh, hard-boiled eggs. We like to introduce berries such as strawberries, raspberries, blueberries. Uh, all these things are, are, are part of their staple diet as well as uh, different types of seafood as they continue to grow. Whole uh, whole and, um, they like uh, all, all, all sorts of food. Um, uh, poultry. Uh, we we concentrate also on our mixes of um, of groundhold chicken and um, and ground and ground turkey. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily like to uh, include beef uh, in their diets, uh, especially because of the practices behind. Uh, the beef industry right uh we 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 concentrate mostly on uh local uh, uh feeders that that we that we know personally mm -hmm. um people that know how to breed their feeders to be as healthy as possible so that when we go to feed our animals the you know it's clear that that the animal is going to be healthy um, but it's it all it depends on variety. We like to keep a variety of 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 options for them in case in the future whoever does happen to purchase our animal, if they want to also continue that and give them a a variety of uh, uh, feedings, different types of, of food, then they're not skittish about it. Um, I don't know if you are aware of. MacGyver, MacGyver, uh -huh. the the famous Instagram tegu, the red tegu. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and and his owner Ice, Ice, uh, I see that she feeds him a variety of of fruits and different seafood. So, it you know, she's another great example. If anybody wants to follow uh, what it is that you can feed your, your tegu and how you, you could treat it. And, and, and she takes supreme care of, of MacGyver and she's a great example. So definitely I would recommend anyone that's in the tegu, um, hobby and, and wanting a tegu to follow her. And then obviously also, uh, follow the top breeders in this, in this hobby, in this industry, including us. Um, because we, we really do care about our animals. We want you to feel confident mm -hmm. 
and um, and not feel as if you're receiving an animal that's been inadequately fed or taken care of since hatching. These Every single animal, like Carlos said, is important and we feed them as if we are going to keep them. We all make sure that everyone gets fed. Everyone gets fat. <laughs> that's awesome. That's for sure. Doing good. Yeah, because they're eating machines. Yeah. Like in the wild, do you do you know what they're eating in the wild? Is it kind of pretty much whatever they can get a hold of and fit in their mouth? Yeah, they're eating a lot of um, a lot of insects. But it was one thing that they're actually taking a hold of and and exterminating them are the the buffo toads. Oh, they're actually yeah. exterminating the buffo toads down here, man. I wow. see a lot of them when I go through farmlands and stuff like that. When I go check traps. A lot of them eating buffo toads all day long. You nice. see buffo toads shredded apart, Jeez. pieces of them everywhere. And that doesn't Sometimes... affect them either? Nope, not at all. <laughs> Sounds like Australia needs to get on it then. That's what they need over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they need takers, yeah. Great idea. Let's introduce hey, another species. Fight fire with fire. Let's introduce another invasive species <laughs> to kill off another invasive species. Yeah, we'll deal and with, with that problem. And with the heat in Australia, you'll have Tegu's double clutching for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I think, though, I would probably rather have those. Well, I don't know. What? Because, like, the, the marine toads are... Cane toads? Yeah. Those are killing a lot of the snakes and stuff because the snakes yeah. are eating them and dying. But if you brought in yep. tegus, they would be eating all the snakes and all the other microfauna. So, yeah. not Take necessarily it. microfauna, but the smaller stuff. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> any of it, all invasive species are bad. Like that's yeah, it's Once not there. there there's adding, really no good adding, way of, and adding a new one never f- helps. Like what are you talking about, <laughs> it's just it's crazy. Please look at, what the, look at what the brown tree snakes did for Guam. <laughs> those weren't introduced though those yeah. just somehow got there yeah, just somehow those are hitchhikers that was an accident <laughs> is double clutching uh, do, do people do that like do females seem to handle that pretty well um, we have had females double clutch in the past the majority of the double clutches have been infertile uh, this season was the first season that we witnessed our first um, fertile double clutch huh and is it is it like one pairing, one clutch of eggs, or do they retain the the seed of the male and continue to pop out clutches until? Yeah, what what we've observed uh, this season was sperm retention because um, the male wasn't reintroduced with the female. Once we have a breeding pair um, lay that the female goes ahead and builds the nest site and and lays, mm-hmm. we once we see that the female has the the nesting behavior. And she has swollen up. We go ahead and remove the male from her enclosure and let her nest and take care of everything by herself. Then another male is not reintroduced with that female till the end of October when it's closed. And do you guys notice the females are protective of the clutches? Yeah. And even after when you remove the clutch, you remove the mulch around the clutch so that the scent is gone and so forth the female will still stay aggressive towards anything put into her enclosure. Another female, another male. Sometimes they'll fight to the death. So what we make sure to do is we keep them separate. Once we have a clutch from a female, we keep that female Mm -hmm. separate from the male for the duration of the breeding season. And then once it comes time to cool them down again, that's when we go ahead and select the pairs 
and reintroduce the females back with males for the for the brumation. Would you would you ever consider uh, maternal incubation with tegus? No, I won't. I I had females where I leave the eggs a longer period of time where that I'm supposed to, and not intentionally. You know, sometimes you get busy with life. Sometimes mm -hmm. females lay at unexpected times and periods where you're just not prepared or didn't physically think it will be possible for them to do so. But um, I had. And what they do is either they'll go ahead to into their own nest and scratch up their eggs and toss them all around, oh, flipping some of the embryos inside of the egg. But they'll also go and eat their own eggs. Hmm. Oh, well, then. Easy meal. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. So how, the, how the hell do you guys get a clutch from a female if she's getting, getting crazy? Uh, we wait for her to lay. And what they do is they make like a double chambered uh, egg laying nest. The bottom chamber is where the eggs are. They kind of cover that a little bit and put some pressure on the on the substrate on top of it. And then they make a, a top chamber where they actually lay and rest watching the eggs. So what we do is we, we approach the female carefully and we use that uh -oh. as a shield, basically. So um, we try to approach the female from the rear, grab her, use the plastic shield as a reinforcement, and then put her in the tub as we get her out. Then what we do with the females is we bring them back in the house, we put them in the tub, we let them soak for like about 30 to 45 minutes, let them absorb some of the water in from their cloaca so they could get rehydrated after laying the clutch. And then about after that 45 minutes is, is done, we go ahead and place them back in their enclosure. Now in the meantime, while they're soaking, we go back to their enclosure, we remove the mulch around the area where the nest was, we go ahead and obviously, first of all, take out the eggs, mark the eggs the same way that they were laid in the nest to incubate. But we try to take away all the scent that she where she where her lay site was at, mm -hmm. so that she doesn't still think that the clutch is there incubating. Because what she'll do is she'll keep guarding the nest area, yeah. and she'll she will not eat during the whole period. So. We, we basically just reset them by clearing out the whole nest area. And do you guys do anything as far as beefing up the females after they've laid? Do you feed them a little more, feed them something on the fattier, more calcium? Yeah, we, we give them, we supplement them more with the wild Alaskan salmon oil and the Rapashi calcium plus D3. Mm -hmm. And then we beef them up prior to them going in the brumation. We give them a, a, a large rodent diet. So for like the the prior months to them going under, mm -hmm. we give them a a, a a heavy rodent diet, which thickens them up and gets their protein up and gets their calcium up because of the high amount of bones in the in right. the whole prey item. And do you guys prefer rats or mice, or kind of a combination of both? And I have some of them that that have more ease swallowing the the large mice mm -hmm. as opposed to a small rat. And then I've read also in places, you know, that there's the whole argument of, of bone density of a large mouse versus bone density of a small rat. Mm -hmm. So some animals, I tend to give more jumbo mice diet and some other ones, I tend to give them more of a small rat. Yeah. I asked that as from like the chondro side of things, because you being in chondros, I'm sure you know the age old debate of feeding exactly. rats or not feeding rats. So I'm always curious with other stuff. Exactly. That That's that. why I brought them up. 
But those animals that I don't feed them rat to, I do exactly what I used to do with the chondros. I don't just give them one jumbo mouse. I'll give them like two, mm-hmm. you know, two or three, depending on how big the animal is. But yeah. I make I, sure that, that they eat a, as much as they can, but not give them a big whole prey item. And that's that's exactly what I do with uh, my adult uh, West Poplin carpets that don't, uh, don't want to eat rats. Because I have some that don't just don't like the scent of rats, so I'll give them two Mousers. or yeah, I'll give them two or three jumbo mice, usually two, and more yep. frequently than I would on rats. And those animals are just as big, if not bigger, than some of my animals eating rats. You know, it's exactly. like people people think you have to have yep. these animals on rats, and you really yeah. <laughs> I've heard also a lot of um a lot of breeders in the black-headed python community mm-hmm. that they do better when they feed more consistency of larger mice than they do when they feed like one small rod or one medium rod like two times a week for example mm-hmm. what they do is they feed more consistency of the large mice like they feed a large mouse every other day or so forth instead of giving that small rat once every week or so mm-hmm. and they're having more success with that feeding rate when you were in chondros, did you feed mice or did you feed rats? Strictly mice. Yeah. I, I did just, not want to get any prolapse. Yeah, I just I don't. I'm <laughs> I'm in agreement with a lot of the the older old timer guys that there's no reason to feed rats to a chondro. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That was my that was my same. I I was on that same side of the fence when the argument was being brought up. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a I'm a strong advocate on the. On the large mouse instead of the small rat diet. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, we're at about an hour 20, so I have one last question, unless Jake has anything else. Uh, but with the given, like, with Tegu's becoming so popular in the hobby, uh, do you think the numbers that they're being produced in is, is a good or bad thing? Well, I think it's a great thing right now. Because of the diversity that are being brought upon Tegus. Um, Tegus are getting to the point now where we're starting to break new ground. And not to compare it because I really hate the way that the Bob Python market has been overexploited. Yep. But we're, we're getting to the point that we're creating, if not pursuing to create, as much biodiversity as there is within the Bob Python market. Oh, wow. So the Tegus are just here starting at the moment you Mm -hmm. know there's gonna be so much growth and what's gonna happen is you're gonna have to keep up with the times you know when you had a coal collection that used to be regular ball pythons and the regular ball pythons were cool then the morph started coming out what happens you know the regular ball pythons start staying behind start getting cheaper and people start going towards the more crazier morphs same thing i see happening with tegus you know a lot of the more common or pure blues or pure black and whites and stuff like that, it's going to be already more common, like the like the, the common uh, ball pythons or the pastel ball pythons, for example. And then all of these new flavors that we're bringing out to the hobby at the moment are like the clowns and the more extreme, you know, the bananas. <laughs> bananas, exactly. That, that is what we're trying to do with the Tegus at this time. So there's going to be room in the market for everybody to grow equally. Another thing that, that we've noticed and we've, we're noticing a high demand for 
is most of the clients that are actually really interested in Tegus happen to be clients that are overseas, people that are really? out of the United States. So the way that I see it is if we're all producing large volumes and sending large volumes out of the United States, there's going to be way more than enough of a market around and, and be happy producing Tegus. Definitely. Sounds like, I think that's the case with a lot of retic morphs too. Like the the market for retic morphs is huge overseas. Yep, exactly. Like that's why Homeboy at Prehistoric Pets is producing so many. Like he's apparently they're getting sent. They're not staying oh, in the states. Yeah. They're getting sent out because he produces yeah. a lot of retics. Yeah, he does. Too many. Yeah. So I, personal, somebody somebody told opinion. us that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we tried not to talk bad about people on the show. Not gonna get into that. Not gonna but, get into that. But, um. Yeah. You have anything else? No, man. I all think, right. I think we've about well, covered it all. Where can people follow you guys at? Um, you can follow us at Tropical Reptiles FL on Instagram or also Tropical Reptiles and Exotics over at Facebook. Right now, we don't have a website, but we're kind of keeping it that way on purpose. Mm-hmm. We like to have one-on-one interaction with our customers instead of just a buy now button. Definitely. Like You know, you guys have a lot of questions about Tegu's. And we experience those same amount of volumes of questions from different customers. So we want to make sure that we set up everybody for success and not mm-hmm. failure. So we want to get a little bit of a hands-on time, a little bit of, even if it's just five minutes of interaction, mm-hmm. getting to know the customer, getting to get a feel for them and, and giving them basically, you know, a, a cliff a cliff notes for them to go by, for them to be able to be successful with the animal. That's what everybody for success, like I said, you know. So that that one-on-one interaction with the customer is what we feel is the strongest. If you guys are an interest in any of the animals that we produce, go ahead and send us a direct message and we'll take it from there. We have a price list and we have some insane genetics that we're working with this year. We have over 35 clutches of Tegus. That's insane. That's a wild lizard, dude. That's insane, man. <laughs> Over 30 clutches, and those are 20 babies. And that is at least one third of our goal. Oh, oh my God. That is, that is one third of the goal reached this year. Our, originally, our original goal was to um, have 90 pairs, and that's what we started with for the season. But, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> I can't wrap my head around Unfortunately, not, not every pair is compatible with each other, and right. not all of them lay eggs, you know? Cool. All right. Well, we really appreciate you guys coming on and taking the time to, to do this. this yeah, was this a, was a this great, great episode. episode. Great episode. Very informative. I and, got uh, all the questions answered on my yeah. notes. Like very all, streamlined. All I'm our, super all impressed with myself. All right within now. our time period, yeah. too. Man, that was that was smooth. That was solid. Well, it was an absolute honor to be on the podcast tonight, and I hope it won't be the last. Definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. You'll be hearing from us again. We definitely like to make our rounds back to. Are you guys previous. going to Daytona? Yes, we will. We'll, we'll see you in Daytona. We'll see you in Daytona because we'll be there. So, are you For guys sure, vending? Guys. Are you vending like or are you just going and hanging out? Said it, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you guys. And, you know, let not this be a, a closed communication. We're always open. If you guys have any additional, if you'd like to expand on any other topic, we're here to help, guys. Awesome. Are y'all Thank vending so Daytona or just going to, to check it out? No, nah, we're going to vend. We have three tables set up. Awesome! Awesome! We're gonna stop by. I'm gonna be shooting YouTube videos. I'll be there. That's awesome! Oh, for sure, guys. It'll be awesome. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll be sharing with the world the the ruby red line albinos, the albino to albino clutch that just hatched, which is the amethyst line. 
We're going to have more clutches coming this week, which may have potential albinos in them, more world's first, and we have two more clutches of anneries coming this week. So it's going to be an insane week coming up. Awesome. Anxious to see it. Awesome, guys. Well, good luck with the rest of your season and uh, on all your upcoming projects. Same to you guys. We'll Thank see you, you in a month. Right, taking the time to speak with us. No problem. Yeah, no problem. We'll see you on August. Bye bye. Yeah. Take care. Bye. bye. I'm like uber impressed with myself, dude. Like I had a lot of questions. You made it through all your I questions. had a lot of notes, and I was like, "There's no way we're gonna be able to keep this on track and get to them all." But we nailed it. Yeah. Like this Not never many, happens. Yeah, you understand? There this was, is a big deal. There was almost tangent zero. There's almost zero tangents just there. Laser just focus. focus. I feel like it was a little bit more of a serious episode. You know, the no, last this is just like I just yeah. I want to get to the facts. Though. No, man. it was very informative. The... No, this episode was probably the one of the most informative I get episodes down to the we've had. You gotta get down to the nitty gritty. See what it tastes like. Nacho Libre, you ever watch that movie? Nacho. Chancho! I ate some some bugs. I ate some grass. I used my hand to wipe my tears. tears. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, y'all, this is episode 47. Uh, Subscribe to the show SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Thank you. Instagram, Facebook. Yes. Follow us. Uh, like us. Thank you, Fishhead Diagnostics. Fishhead. Thank you, Ben Younger, for ben. the question of the week. We were also on his his pod. Was that no? No, that's that somebody was, else. That was the Sorry. guys. Blanket. The one we were on last yeah. week. Yeah. No was, redeeming qualities. Yeah. I don't know when that's going to be released. Yeah, I, I thought for some reason I yeah I got people mixed up. Uh, it's yeah. a that, that that's going to be odd because they compiled conversations with multiple people and it's getting released in episodes so we're going to be in a handful of episodes of no yeah. qualities but it's only going to be like snippets of that so, question so. yeah it's going to be check them out guys no no redeeming qualities they're, they're doing a gator week thing and uh, they're going to have segment segments of us they in us there questions about um we are not gator experts by any means so anybody out there who are don't make fun of us for our answers. Yeah, sorry. we did our best, but uh, and it was pretty fun. I think we nailed I most of the it. questions. I think we got smoked me a reserve of Don fun, Carlos man. while you're doing it. Fuente cigar of the year for 2018, 2017. It's good cigar. It's good smoke. Yeah, you should get on those. You'd like those. I'll see. I'll see. Um, follow me at Palmetto Coast Exotics Facebook, Instagram. I got the YouTube channel. Just uploaded a video today that someone requested. I take requests, I do requests, I do the videos, I enjoy making them. Follow me on the Instagrams and the Facebooks at JLB Morelia. Yeah, you guys know how it goes. Excited for Daytona. Yeah. Super stoked for Daytona. It's going to be a good time. Dude, Daytona is just like, I'm excited, but like I haven't even been thinking about it. I have so much shit going on right now. I'm, I'm, is, dude, I need, I need a, like, you need a vacation. vacation. <laughs> Like count down the days. I feel like I'm doing something every weekend, man. I'm staying busy. It's it will be a nice break. Yeah. So anyway, right, thanks y'all. y'all. Take care. See y'all later. Stay right.